Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. How are you? Great to see you. I still see a few people coming in. We may want to practice the Baptist liturgy called SOS, scoot over some. And uh, so folks can get in on the on the aisles. Again, we're just reminded of, we're just, I don't know how far away we are from starting a third Sunday service, but we're close. So pray for us as we figure that out. And um, we'll be asking some of you to do the ultimate sacrifice, change what service you come to. So, you know, that's, I know that's tough, but hey, it's right up there with going to Africa. But um, <clears throat> yeah. And so uh, it's great, great, great to be back uh, uh, with you all and I've been hearing from you this week about your, your journey. Um, we, um, uh, from time to time, I'll, I'll say this silly thing that I heard some comedian say years ago I don't, well, as a kid. He said there are two types of people in the world, those who divide people into two groups and those who don't. And... Uh, so I'm actually going to do a little bit of that today, and I'm going to do, kind of divide you into three groups. There are at least, when we think of the spiritual uh, categories of people or the spiritual um, uh, realities for different groups of people, there are at least three here today. Uh, there are those of you who are followers of Jesus who are close to Him. Now, you're not perfect, but you're, you're walking Every day, seeking to be draw near to him, him draw near to you. Uh, John chapter 15 describes that as abiding in Christ or remaining in Christ. Um, my mentor used to just say it means to get really close to Jesus and stay there be, you know, as best you can. There, there are many of you Christ followers who are there uh, today. There's a second group of uh, followers of Jesus, second group of people here. Uh, who you realize you have drifted away, as Colossians chapter 1 says, or you have moved away from closeness to Christ. Or as again, as I said last week, my, my, both my grandmothers called it backsliding. You, you've slidden away from Christ and find yourself in a pattern of habitual, intentional uh, disobedience. And so the fellowship is broken. You're still a child of God, still going to heaven when you die, but you're missing out on, on the blessing of the closeness of fellowship. There's a third group in the room, and that's those of you who've never come to Jesus in the first place. And so I'm going to address you at the end of the, of the talk. Uh, but the, I'm, I'm aiming the big gun of the message today on the second group of us here. Uh, those of us who are followers of Jesus, yet we find that we have drifted away. In fact, that, you're, that's the point of these five weeks we're spending together. We're in the second week of the journey back to God. How do I come back to God? Uh, we think the God of the Bible is Jesus. How do I come back to Jesus when I find that I have intentionally drifted away? And so um, we're going to jump in there. When we come to that question, uh, the 51st psalm towers over all of the other passages in the Bible on this issue like Mount Everest towers over all the other mountains in the world. This is, this is the pinnacle. This is, this is God's big cosmic two-by-four. This is His road map uh, for you and I to get 
back close to Jesus when we, uh, when we need to. Now, we're in the second step today on that journey. Last week, we uh, learned that if we wish to come back to God, we looked at the first two verses of Psalm 51, and I kind of gave you just a little, kind of a little axiom, a little statement that rhymes to help you remember your first step, and it's, it's this. If you want to come back to Jesus, you must heed your need to plead, plead. Now, we can't do that sermon all over again, so we'll go back and listen to it, but um, heed your need to plead, and we, we see that David, the king, modeled for us that based on God's amazing grace, based on his faithful promised love to us, those of us this side of the cross know that it's demonstrated by the death of Christ on the cross for us in our place, like we just sang about, uh, based on his faithful love, based on his deep compassion, that means the deep heartfelt hit him in the gut kind of stirring that God feels when he thinks of you and me, that we are to plead with him for his forgiveness, for his cleansing, knowing all along that we don't deserve it. Got it? Got it. That's the first step. That's the first step. Now, um, that's what King David did when he found himself far from God uh, because of his behavior that we find in the account of 2 Samuel chapter 11 where he, um, he, he neglected his responsibilities as king. He committed adultery with another man's wife. He powered up and did an abuse of power and took a powerless woman, another man's wife, seduced her, then had her husband murdered, then went through a year of political and moral and spiritual cover-up with the nation so that hopefully no one would find out. And yet then when he was confronted and came clean, he started by doing what we just described. He heeded his need to plead. Uh, for God's love and cleansing and uh, forgiveness. And today we see how he takes the second step, and uh, we're going to look at the Psalm 51. If you've got a copy there, turn it on or open it up to uh, the 51st Psalm. Look at, at verse 3 through 5. This is God's Word. This is David praying to God. And he prays, For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, and you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Again, this is God's word. King David desired to return to closeness to God in fellowship with God. And to do so, he confessed his sin to God. Now, this morning, we want to understand this second step. And let me say it this way. Uh, somebody was mentioned to me. They said, so have you got another one of those little rhymes to help us remember this step? Yes, I do. Last week was, if you want to come back to God, heed your need to plead. Today, if you want back in, confess your sin. So you can jot that down. That's, that's the sermon in a sentence. Let's pray and go home. Okay, new, 
You get to listen a little more. So if you want back in, confess your sin. Now, you might ask, well, pastor, how do I go about this? How do I confess my sin? Well, you, we find in this passage what, the way to do it. You could take your pen and write over this next to this passage in your Bible and title it, David's Clear Confession. David's Clear Confession. And we learn how to go about this in such a way that we are restored to a joy-filled, guilt-free, shame-free existence and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that sounds good to me. Let's go. Here's the first thing we must do. We must be aware of our guilt and our need for forgiveness. I mean, we must be aware of this. David was. Look at verse 3. He said, "...for I am conscious of my rebellion." And my sin is always before me. Uh, he, he was conscious. And so here we find the answer to why David needed mercy, why he needed forgiveness and cleansing. Uh, he took res- individual responsibility for his sin. And so must you and so must I. We, if we want back in, we confess our sin by taking individual responsibility for going away from God. That means that it's something we did, not something that was done to us. Uh, We even have described it already, uh, unfortunately, it came out of my mouth last week as I listened back to my talk. I said, if you find that you have, or has this ever happened to you, like it's something that is done to you or something that is done to me. We are not passive in this thing. We did it. We do it. It's not done to us. We do it. And and David stepped right up. It was not, oh, this happened to me, Lord, help me. No, no, no. He said, I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Uh, There's not a single word here, by the way, about the sins of other people. Not a single one. Now, you know, when, when you and I get serious about coming back to Christ, we don't come back by saying, well, everybody else was doing it and, you know, I just... Couldn't help myself. Or if my parents had just not been such fools, if they didn't raise me the way they did, or, you know, Lord, all those people at my office are pagans and they just have this influence over me. Or my wife, my wife had just treated me right. You know, it's just like Adam. All men say, it's that woman you gave me. (laughs) If it hadn't been for this woman... You know, oh, really? No, no, no. And uh, men have been saying that since the very first man on the planet. If my wife had just treated me right, I would have stayed straight. No, no, no. He, David doesn't say, well, you know, that lady shouldn't have been out bathing on her roof. It's like he, like he said, oh, no, they drug me up on top of the palace and I had to look at her. No, no, he didn't say that. I am conscious of my rebellion against God. I did this. No one made me do this. He, he, he took ownership and responsibility. There's the old uh, gospel song, Standing in the Need of Prayer. Anybody know that one? We're going to stand up and sing it. It's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Now, the second verse is kind of same. Verse same as the first, could be better, could be worse. You know, it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's, it's me. It's me. It's me. And so we take responsibility. And then we admit that we have sinned personally. 
I mean, he, he, he says, look at him. He says in verse 3, I know this. I am conscious of my rebellion. It's personal. This got out of the theoretical into real life for David. You see, he knew the Ten Commandments. He knew the penalty and the consequences that would come. But now he said, it's not just that this is on, in the Bible. It's that it has jumped off the pages of Scripture into my lunchbox. I mean, it's right here. It is a reality in my life. This is not abstract. This is present and real. Uh, some of you, I, I notice over the years, you're interested in medical things. You, you watch medical documentaries about health and wellness and medical stuff, and some of you even read medical journals. It's one thing to read about a particular disease. It's another thing to begin to recognize the horrifying symptoms of that disease in your own body. It, it becomes real. And that's what had happened to David and his sin. You see, when you and I come back to God, it does not uh, want to come back to God. It does not mean that we go down to the seminary library and check out a book on the doctrine of sin and study it like we're dissecting a frog. No, that's not what David meant. He said, I know my transgressions. I am conscious of my rebellion. I recognize my sin. It's ever before me. And so if we want to confess it and take ownership, then we also don't repress it. We don't put it off. The book of Romans chapter 1 tells us that every one of us human beings has within us the capacity to suppress the truth. That means, not, that means to hide it, try to hide it even from ourselves, even from ourselves. And so, um, but don't do that. This had become a perpetual reality for David. Look at verse 3 again. He said, my sin is always before me. My sin is ever before me. It, he could have said, it haunts me day and night, constantly. It was not just every now and then. It was always before David because remember, it had been, all this had happened one year prior to the recording of this prayer in Psalm 51. For a year, he'd been trying to push it down, ignore it, hide it, hide it from himself, hide it from others, but he couldn't do it. You might as well try to keep a basketball under the water at the bottom of the pool. You can't do it. It's going to pop up. And one of the reasons there seems to be so little joy in the life of many believers is because there's been such a shallow idea of what confession involves. Or we've ignored it completely. So, because this is not punishment. This is God, the, the, the grace to confess sin is one of God's gifts to us. It's his, it's his grace. It's one of his expressions of grace to get us out from under the burden of the shame and the guilt that's weighing us down and crushing the joy and peace in our lives. It's, it's God's great uh, grace. So don't hold back from it. Em, embrace it. Um, how many of you get a paycheck? You, you get... Oh, gosh, we're in trouble. There's about five people... <laughs> We got to change the sermon. Y'all got to get a job. <laughs> About five pounds. I'm getting one. Um, woo, please. I mean, it's bad enough how many people are out of work now with the shutdown, but goodness, no, three people are getting paid. Um, have you ever been able to cash a, a paycheck that did not have a signature on the check? 
I don't know if you write many checks today, but you still have to put your signature on there. But if you get a paycheck, it'll have a signature on it if it's good, either electronic or, or, or handwritten. It is that act of signing the check that releases the benefits of the resources that are in the account. And when King David wrote his name across his sin, it released the grace of God that was in his account. This big account, in the account account of God, which is unlimited, marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And, 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 you, and you say, well, wait a minute, I thought Jesus died and all our sins are forgiven. And Well, yeah, that's true. But let me ask you, those of you that are married um, and are old like me and went to see the old classic movie Love Story. What was the most famous line in that movie? Love it means... Never having to say you're sorry. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. That's a Greek word, stupid. Empty, foolish, empty head. No, love means saying you're... So what, people are committed to each other. Uh, but re, we all know relational uh, maintenance requires, uh, re, you know recognizing when we've wounded our our spouse and to say i'm so i'm sorry please for forgive me now you're still married you're still in the relationship well god is a person we don't follow a set of rules we follow a person jesus and he has feelings too i mean read about them and so if this is relational it, he has all this grace. He says, "It's not." He says, "I'm going to forgive you, but you need to hear it. You need to say it. You need to experience." And when we write our name across our sin, he releases all that grace out of his account relationally, so that we feel and experience the benefits of the closeness to Christ. And um, and so that's what that's what David did here. So if you want to come back to God, if you want to get in, back in, pr- confess your sin by being aware. And, it, and taking personal responsibility for your sin. Second, jot this down. You must actually confess your sin to God. If you want back in, look at verse 4. David prayed, Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. He said, Wait a minute. I thought he sinned against Bathsheba. Yeah, he did. And against Uriah. Yeah, he did. And against the whole nation of Israel. Yeah, he did. What's this against you and you alone, God? Does that mean that those people didn't matter? No, that is not what that means. What it means is, is he, David understood first and foremost that any sin is primarily, first and foremost, an offense to God Almighty, as well as the other individuals that we may have wronged. It is that our confession first is to God. Our primary offense is toward God all, Almighty. You know, when... Um, when in Second Samuel 11, when the prophet Nathan was prompted by God's Spirit to go and confront David, which was a gutsy thing, because David, he, was, he still had the ultimate authority in his life, and Nathan gets an audience with the king and comes in and puts his bony finger in his face and says, you have messed up. He didn't say, 
He said nothing about David's sin against Bathsheba or Uriah or against lying to the nation. Here's the quote. Why have you despised the word of the Lord our God? You have sinned, first and foremost, primarily against the Lord our God. The primary direction of our sin relates to our relationship to God, first and foremost. And uh, now we tend to be concerned about a lot of moral issues in our culture today. I mean, you could name a million of them, and we, as we should be, but we're not going to make much headway, um, not as individuals, not as a culture, until we recognize that these issues are first and foremost a fist of rebellion in the face of a holy and loving God. We have forgotten God. We have wounded and, and offended God. Well, David came to realize first that his sin was primarily rebellion against God. Now, notice also that this was a simple confession. He confessed one time, and that was sufficient. He, he didn't repeat it. Over, he, didn't, you know, he didn't punish himself by saying, Oh, I've just got to keep asking for forgiveness. God's sufficient to handle it. One time, we're not, like, we're not like our Hindu friends who might be sitting on beside the road in India spinning a prayer wheel in hopes that every time that wheel turns, that prayer goes to God, maybe hundreds of times over, goes to the gods and might forgive us and, oh, maybe that'll make it better. No, no, no. It was a simple one-time uh, confession. It has to do more with our attitude toward ourself and our sin and toward the Lord Jesus. Now, part of this confession is admitting to God that He's right and we're wrong. That He's always right. It's a statement of, of faith. Look at verse 4 again, the last part. David prayed to God, So you are right when you pass sentence, and you are blameless when you judge. You're blameless when you judge. I... Uh, You've heard me tell the story about years ago, I, I decided to go to traffic court one day in Peachtree City, not as an observer, but as a uh, participant. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and when the description of my, my, my speeding violation was read before the judge and everybody standing in that, that room, the, the, the desire to justify myself and explain my circumstances was, oh, you know, I, I had this, imp I'm important, you know, I had things to do and people to see and I was late and I was running. No, 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 no. That desire to justify myself welled up within me, but I realized, you know, I was guilty of breaking the speed limit. I was guilty of this. I had no plea, no alibi. And so I could have said to the judge, um, Judge, you are absolutely right when you judge me as guilty. And anything that you need to do to me within the law, you're, you're right. You're blameless in this. David says to Almighty God, you are right. You are right. You are, you are right when you pass sentence on me. You are blameless when you judge. God is always right. He always loves you. He always has your best interest at heart. He always does. He always does. Uh, and and even, in, even His judgments are judgment with mercy in mind for our own benefit. For our own benefit. You can trust Him. He's always right. He's always blameless. He is always uh, good. And David admitted that to him, and it's good for you and me to do the same. And so if you want back in, we need to confess our sin, and we need to do, do it by saying, whatever you say, God, about me, because you are always right. You're always correct. You, you might have another question. Well, pastor, 
why do we get away from God in the first place? Why do I drift away from Jesus in the, the first place? Well, David believed, look at verse 5, he believed it was because of the conception of sin in his life. Look at verse 5. He prays to God, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Uh, the King James uh, translation, English translation says that verse this way, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The New American Standard translation says it this way, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Well, what? let me tell you, there's two things. First of all, let me tell you what that does not mean. David does not, first of all, it does not mean that David does, uh, that David blames his sin on the act of human sexuality, of, of sex within marriage. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. It says, God blessed the marriage relationship and sex within marriage. He blesses the marriage bed. It pleases him. It honors him. It's one of his gifts to mankind. And he said that's always, it's not only okay, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. He's the manufacturer of sex. He says when it's good and when it's not. And basically he says any, any expression of human sexuality outside the relationship of husband and wife is sinful and destructive. It is, it is offensive to God and it's destructive to human beings. And we are all broken sexually. All, most of us have lived long enough to know that that's the case. And we know he's right about that. He's right about He is always right. He's always right. He always has our best interest at heart. So David is not saying, well, it was because of this sexuality thing, and even in marriage, it's just as, you know, it's kind of ugly. No. What he is saying is this. When I was born, I was born with a nature, with a tendency in my life to rebel against and disobey God. We're talking about original sin here. And he's saying that deeply embedded into every human being from before our first conscious act is the inclination to miss God's mark. We inherited it from our great, great, great times ex-grandfather Adam when he sinned and disobeyed God. It is an affliction on all of humanity. And we come into the world with an inclination toward disobedience, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's why, that's why you never have to teach your children to disobey. I mean, any of you doing classes on that? No, why? Because it just comes, comes naturally. It comes naturally. And so our lives end up far from God. But you don't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Here's the good news. Imagine because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross and rose from the dead in, on the cross for our sin, because of our sin in our place, and because God the Father arranged for all of our iniquity to be laid on him, Forgiveness is possible, cleansing is possible, renewal is possible. So imagine with me, rather than you living on, with this cloud of guilt and shame and, uh, hanging over you, that you come back to Christ and find yourself refreshed and renewed and redeemed and cleansed and revitalized by the grace of God in the life of Christ indwelling you by His Spirit, being forgiven, being renovated, being clean, being straightened out, filled with God's love, 
peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control, uh, a, a life of joy every day and freshness, uh, a newness, a sense of, oh, I'm, I am pleasing to God and I love Him and I want to serve Him. How's that sound? Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like that? That's, you can have that now. You can have that now. If you want that, if you want back in, confess your sin. And so we're going to move into a time of congregational prayer. I want to give you uh, plenty of time. I want you again to turn the place where you're seated into your own personal, private place of prayer. Uh, you can get up and go to the prayer wall over there if you need to. You can come kneel at the front if that's something that helps you physically. You know, I wish we had kneelers uh, like some of our churches have, but we don't have them. But it's we try to make our rows wide enough so if you just want to turn around and kneel at your chair, you can do that, or you can just remain seated where you are. But why don't you do what David did? Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till tonight. Don't wait till next week. Don't press it or repress it any longer. His grace is available to you now. Write your name across God's paycheck and receive His grace. And so I'm going to ask uh, Andrew, he's already here, he's going to play some Let's Confess Our Sin to God music. <laughs> he is. He is. You know, why, you know why we can laugh about that? It's because this is a joyful thing. We get to do that. We can get rid of all this. Leroy, I got a pastor buddy who years ago told me that there was a lady that came to him after teaching like this, and she said, well, pastor, I'd like to confess my sins if I just knew what they were. <laughs> and he said, well, why don't you just get that on your knees and guess at it? <laughs> and he said, you know what? She guessed right the very first time. So why don't you just guess at it? I bet you'll guess right the very first time. Let me read this passage. Here's your prayer. The psalmist in Psalm 139, David again, at some other time, penned these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any sinful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Ask Him. He'll show you. And then you just name it. Lord, I'm trusting in your amazing grace, your promised love, your deep compassion for me. In light of all that, blot out my transgression. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And here it is. And just name them. And mark them off the list in your mind. He's removing them as far away from you as the east is from the west. And he will remember your sin no more. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.